Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sophia, your assistant content and podcast editor, and I cannot wait for you all to listen to this episode. We are talking to Ashley Baxter, founder of Monty, a clean tech startup building hardware and software technology for monitoring and managing compost. I hope you're as excited as I am for episode two. Welcome to the pod. Um, I'm Shri and I'm here with the founder of Monty, Ashley. So great to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me. I really wanted to get into the pod and just start out with your background. So after doing a, a dual bachelor degree in management, info systems, software design, how did you get inspired to take on a journey into sustainability? Awesome. Um, so yeah, so I had actually been interested in sustainability way before I started my uni degree. I joined my first environmental club in school when I was like 10 years old. Um, I think it was really back then, it was always for me about, you know, the ecology, the animals, and then also kind of that um, philanthropic perspective of, you know, wanting to help people who have less, I guess, um, opportunities as you. So that was always there. And I guess the only reason I did my uni degree was because I didn't know what career I could possibly have where I could pursue these passions and then also, you know, be able to be successful in my vocation. There really wasn't anything beyond what I was currently doing, which was like volunteering in the environmental space that would allow me to do that. Right. And and that sort of spiraled on to where we are now, which is, you know, you're co like you're founding, you're the founder of Monty Compost Co., which is incredible. Bit weird, eh? <laughs> yeah, like it's doing incredibly. I, I just I kinda wanna know, you know, how did it sort of snowball into into building Monty and and how did you just start? Well, it was actually like so random. It like it really was. I know that's such a cliche answer, but it really was. Like I started Monty when I was like 23, but when I was 22, I literally it had never crossed my mind my entire life that I would ever start a business. Like, you know, you you see some people like entrepreneurs or whatever, and they're like, oh my God, I found my first lemonade stand when I was four years old. I've been hustling since day one. And to me and like my, like no one in my family had started a business. It just, it had never been on the cards for me. Like I didn't see it as a feasible possibility. Um, And it really wasn't until my final year of uni when I had tried a whole bunch of different career paths. I'd done lots of internships, lots of work experience, hated all of them. Not hated, strong word. Didn't vibe with (laughs) most of them. Um, That I kind of came across the entrepreneurship uh, uh, community, I guess, at my university, UQ. And literally from my first session, which was like just kind of this workshop on, you know, they got someone in to speak about how they started a business, what the steps are, all of that. Literally from that first session, I was hooked and I was like, this is the world that I want to build my career in. Um, 
And when I compared it to the other kind of jobs that I'd done, it, it was just incomparable. It was like, this is, this is going to be my, my future. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then, yeah, um, six months later, which was halfway through, I came kind of came across the, the problems in the world of organic waste and agriculture. And then six months after that, I applied for this competition to get some startup funding. And then three and a half years after that, we're here and it's wow. a full company. <laughs> and oh I've said compost way too many times in my life. I like I, I kind of want to get into what you know Monty is all about like in your website uh, I'm scanning through it now and you, you talk about the app and aiming to reduce and recycle waste um, create fertilizer restore soil health and sequester carbon this is a whole process right um, and I, I kind of want to go through how Monty makes this happen yeah, so basically um, I think the inspiration from Monty really came from, you know, my own journey into this space of compost. So, you know, despite, like I said, being in the environmental movement since I was 10, so literally over a decade at that point, I never, never came across anyone talking about composting, talking about organic waste. You know, some people were working on food waste, but there really wasn't anything substantial beyond oh, you know, we shouldn't have food waste. Um, but it was really just when I read this book called Becoming Famine, and I really recommend it. Um, and it was basically about all the issues that we're facing with agriculture uh, and then like how there are some solutions out there to fix it. And one of the like best recommended solutions was composting because of its, you know, a like flexibility, it's affordability, it's accessibility. You know, it's not something that's like you have to rewire an entire country's nation's global energy system or transport system. It's literally just piling up organic waste and letting it decompose in, in a managed way and then putting that end product back into our soils. Um, but the more I got into it, because, you know, to me, that was like, okay, this is such an obvious solution. Why aren't we all doing this? Why do people not know about it? Um, especially because when you think about it, composting as an act, which is, you know, managing the decomposition process, it's literally as old as agriculture. It's like it's been around humanity as long as we've been farming, which is mm-hmm. you know, over 10,000 years. And so why have we got all these amazing agricultural revolutions and technologies, but nothing, you know, all of that stuff on the extractive side, but nothing on the side where you have to put the waste products from that back in. And I kind of found out, you know, through research and all of that, that it was really, I, I boiled it down to like three main reasons being that firstly, it's, it's very confusing to do correctly. Um, there is actually a lot of science behind composting. It's, as I turned out, not just piling all your stuff out up and yeah. waiting for it to break down. It's a little bit more complicated than that to get yeah. it right and to retain all the nutrients in it and to prevent all the emissions escaping from it. Um, and that kind of ties into the next thing being that it's inefficient. So because a lot of people don't know the best ways to manage their compost, it ends up taking, you know, months and even years. And then at the end, um, 
you have a pretty uh, poor quality end product. Uh, and then, but it doesn't have to be like that, which is kind of what Monty does. Uh, but then the final reason was that because of both of those things, it's just unappealing. You know, it's very easy to sell shiny solar panels and, you know, flashy electric cars, but it's not as easy to sell, you know, rotting manure and food waste covered in insects. So um, those kind of three issues I can't, like I started coming across and synthesizing together in my research. And Monty is basically the manifestation of how we can solve those issues so that compost, we can compost 100% of the like 3 billion tons of organic waste that we produce every year, like everywhere in the world. And yeah, so what, what it kind of manifested as is this hardware software solution that allows you to monitor a.k.a. Monty, um, compost emissions, what comes off it, uh, and then transmits that to our analysis, which generates management instructions, engages you with it, delivers insights, tracks carbon offset, all of that sort of really interesting stuff that's necessary in order to manage it as effectively as we need to. Right. And and that's so interesting because I remember watching um, – a, a TED talk that you did and you said something about if you even if you are composting you might not be composting properly and that might not even be doing any good than you've actually you know started out with like not composting totally. so yeah you, you composting would mean like you're just creating a you've just made a mini landfill no that's literally it I found that crazy I was like wow so you know, I'm not really doing anything. All of this effort, effort wasted. Basically, if your compost smells, it's not compost, it's a landfill. Oh. It's a reason those smells occur and it's, you know, it all comes down to the types of bacteria that are breaking it down, the nutrient and pH balance in the feedstock, all of those things, you need to be like monitoring and managing them in order to have an efficient process where A, you're preventing the, you know, um, uh, high warming potential greenhouse gases from being emitted, you know, producing different gases instead. And then two, actually conserving the nutrients in the organic waste instead of having them, you know, uh, emitted out along with those gases so that by the end, that end product, that organic fertilizer can actually be used as a viable substitute for artificial fertilizer. Most composting, unfortunately, it's just people piling up organic waste and letting it decompose like it would in any other landfill. Mm. And that's just, it's just re undoing all the things that it, it's totally a wasted opportunity. Yeah. It's such a waste. Um, and just looking back at my journey composting, I've just realized, wow, like I need to have a hard look at the way I'm approaching things and learn a bit more about, you know, what I can do to actually create um, a composting process in my life that's going to actually make a difference. Yeah, 100%. Quite a small step, right? Like you said, like it's not, it doesn't require a whole economy to change. No. It's, it's one small step that every individual can take to make a difference. And the thing is as well is that from that individual perspective, 
like waste is one of those areas where we need like in order to have sustainable uh, sustainable alternative in the future it's going to like it is absolutely essential that we have individual action like i kind of compare it to like in contrast you've got uh the energy industry unfortunately we're going to need kind of a very centralized um complete overhaul of the infrastructure to generate clean energy, right? That's not something that the individual can hugely impact. But when you consider things like uh, transport, for example, it is an individual choice because we have to alleviate, you know, the pressure on our roads and we have to, you know, increase our demand for public transport. So, again, that's another individual choice change that we need to make. And it's exactly the same with waste management. You know, people currently, we currently have this centralized system where you get, you put your waste at the end of the driveway and it gets trucked off in these, you know, industrial diesel guzzlers, you know, kilometers away to some landfill, or even if it is a recycling facility, this big, huge, um, like, fossil fuel consuming place that needs to process all of it into something different. Whereas what we need to do actually to be sustainable is completely cut out that centralized approach and turn it into something that you're doing within your local community. And so that's why, like, I don't know how many people have like um, can processing buildings in their in their suburb, but a lot are popping up, and that's something that's really good because it alleviates the pressure on our recycling system. And considering that organic waste can actually constitute up to sixty percent of the municipal waste stream, basically we could more than half the amount of waste collection trucks on our road if we were all composting locally. And that's something that's just, you know, not being talked about as much as it needs to be. 100%. Um, And it's just that you said, you know, it's just a couple percentage of um, carbon emissions that could be uh, reduced, but that small percentage is not something that's impossible. It's something that's doable for individuals and we can make it happen. So, even if, you know, it might not be a big percentage, that big percentage will just skyrocket in terms of its effects once we actually start taking initiative in our own life. And it's interesting you say that just briefly because even though it may not, um, like municipal, individual, household composting may not necessarily be a huge amount in itself of emissions, the transition to natural natural organic fertilizers that composting will enable has the potential to offset so much more, like potentially up to 10% of global emissions. Because by making compost and those composted fertilizers more cost, like like lower cost, then they have far more potential to be integrated into our agricultural systems that currently rely on artificial fertilizers, which, you know, rely on fossil fuels to be made, which have huge runoffs into surrounding ecosystems, which don't sequester any carbon, in fact, strip it away. If we're replacing that system with organic fertilizers, then you alleviate all those problems and you turn our agricultural soils into a carbon sink. But again, that can't be done unless composting becomes part of the mainstream and unless there is a sufficient enough volume of our organic material getting processed. 
Yeah, 100%. And just reflecting back on what you talked about in our in our current communities, in our current councils, um, uh, we, we wrote uh, an article about the recycling industry, not specifically targeting composting, but recycling. And I, I remember um, reading this paragraph, it, it was talking about how recycling containers um, that are eligible for recycling, they contain, you know, leftovers that aren't separated properly. And then uh, this just ends up not being recycled properly because you know it's contaminated so what's the point if our actual systems are not amending recycling systems efficiently so we can actually recycle and make a difference um and just like recycling like you said um it like composting is not being given enough attention by local council so it's going to have to be up to uh, organizations like Monty. And, you know, it's interesting um, that you say that because, you know, obviously now I've been in the waste industry or whatever for several years and I've actually um, quite gotten quite close and gotten the inside scoop or whatever on a lot of what happens not only in, you know, small scale composting but also in industrial composting industrial recycling industrial waste management now obviously i can't name any names or anything like that but there is some really you know poor management that happens that just completely undermines any like collection or sorting or work like that that people do at a household level like it's shocking there are many stories of entire recycling trucks just not going to the recycling facility just being diverted to a landfill because it'll save five minutes on a route not telling that because i the the industry is very interesting you have those waste collectors the trucks that you see driving around a lot of the time they don't necessarily do the waste processing they'll put that out as a tender and because governments are putting out the waste collection as a tender it's a race to the bottom everyone's cutting corners and what ends up happening is it just gets dumped and it's it's a really huge problem and I think that maybe deep down people know that but they don't want to hear it because you know it's so much easier to just believe that I've done my bit I've put my my recyclables in a different bin I'm okay, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're not. Every like, it's really, it's really tragic. Like, it breaks my heart sometimes. But I no longer really feel bad about not necessarily putting something in the recycling because you know, as in plastic or metal, because it's honestly sometimes it's unavoidable. But I do feel bad when I put when I don't put my organics into the compost because that is something that is totally un, uh, totally avoidable. There is, you know, community compost everywhere. There are neighbours who do it. There are schools who do it. Individuals can make that difference and more than half the waste that's going into, like, um, their, into their bins every week and they can be certain that they know that it's actually being recycled. And so I think it's really, yeah, it's, it's really sad, but the commercial waste industry has a lot of issues and honestly, we can't depend on them. They have their place. They have certain applications, um, but 
in terms of them being the only or even the majority solution for uh, sustainable municipal waste management, it's, it ain't a thing, unfortunately. Mm, Unfortunately. And, and like you said, right, it's going to have to be up to us um, to, to take that initiative. Um, I wanted to reflect on one more thing regarding the Monty app. Um, just just on this note of learning about composting, expanding your knowledge and, and actually creating, um, uh, generating organic waste that will make an impact. What sort of uh, resources are available on the Monty app for people to learn about this? So this is something that we really prioritise and we see that you know, general education is so important for people to become impassioned about composting like we are. Um, so our app has, it's a, it's a whole platform and we're constantly developing it and we've got kind of whole bunch of different core feature sets. And the one that you're referring to is like our conservatory where we've kind of pulled together all of these different information sources, whether they're articles, books, you know, social media accounts, like different products and things like that, all related to composting. And we're actually going to be making, you know, um, like deals with our collaborators where they can put in their own, uh, their own kind of sources of information. So it's pretty much like we're trying to make, I guess, a Google for compost. And because, because we've got, because one of the biggest problems I found when I was doing research into compost is that, you know, you can use Google, but what the the results that you get, if you Google how to compost, they're going to be, you know, if you're a person living in Brisbane in a townhouse with a tumbler compost bin, you would need very different results to someone who, who works on, on a farm in Tasmania with, you know, a ton of manure every day. You're, you're going to need two very different sources of information on the best way to, con, um, to compost. So what we kind of saw an opportunity for is, you know, we're getting the data uh, the compost data, <laughs> cool, of these people anyway, you know, how they compost, what kind of setup they have. Why don't we take these pre-existing sources and kind of curate them for those composters so that instead of you having to go on this, you know, investigation and, you know, this trial and error where you find sources and you implement them and they end up being irrelevant to you, we deliver you those curated sources that are that are going to work best for you. So we believe in education, but we believe in efficient education. And so that is allowing people that, you know, instead of having to go down this rabbit hole of, of figuring out something for themselves, we're really just hand delivering it to them. And that's also what we kind of do with the main functionality of our app, which is delivering those management instructions. So, you know, people can't be expected to, you know, know everything about compost unless they're a massive weirdo like me who spends all their time reading about it like like let's be real 99% of people don't spend their weekends reading about compost and nor do they want to but if we want composting to be as efficient as it needs to be they need to still be able to access that knowledge and so that's really how we've utilized the data that we get from our users that we get from their compost monitors in order to yeah efficiently educate them 
Yeah. On this note of efficient education, I just, I totally agree with you there. Um, I think being able to access information is one thing, but being able to access information that is um, that is simplified, right? Like you don't have to overthink it, read like a like six page article on oh, what's the best way to compost. Let me just spend two hours a day just studying this. Like no one has time for that. Um, and on top of that, we're, we're trying to navigate this world of Google where you've got so much information being chucked at you. How can you um, sort of, simplify it and uh, and I think us at Greenfluence we can relate to this I, I remember when we were posting out articles um, at one point we didn't have infographics um, with them but once we started adding infographics and we simplified the content we got that reach we had that engagement coming in because people don't want to spend that time like reading through a lot of words they just want to get the message learn something exactly. and move on it's like if you have a I have, there's like two kind of like quote sort of things that come to mind or like um kind of just sayings it's like um if you have a thirsty person you don't give them a flood you give them a glass of water like both of them are sources of water but delivering if you'd like you can't just give someone Google and say, hey, figure it out for yourself. It is just a waste of time. And that kind of leads on to the next thing that I came across in my, you know, time in environmentalism that really stuck with me and that I think a lot of people in this space need to make sure that they keep in mind when working on environmental issues. And it's that not everyone cares about what you care about. Like what uh, I remember someone telling that to me and the way that they said it is like, to me, honestly, you know, cancer isn't a, a huge priority on my list of things I care about. I recognize that it's a huge issue, that it causes so much pain, that it's affected so many people. But for me, for my skill set, for my background, you know, it's not something that I particularly am able to provide a lot of help on. But if someone gives me a means of doing so, then, and I can put a small amount of time into it, I will. And it's the same with environmentalism. You know, I think this was something that I had to overcome was that people are not bad people just because they may not necessarily care as much as I do about the environment. And so but at the same time, we still need everyone to be composting. So how can you get or we still need everyone to have sustainable transport or sustainable energy or whatever? So how do we get people to do that without forcing them to do things that aren't necessarily in their interests? Well, then you make it as easy and convenient and appealing as possible for them. So I think that's really what we're trying to do. And it's really important that as we, you know, people who who do prioritize the environment as our kind of core interest areas and our, you know, philanthropic areas that we remember that everyone's different. And, you know, I think especially for me, I've learned that there are very few people who care as much about compost as I do, um, but that they're still just as valid and I just need to make it as 
convenient for them. Exactly, exactly. So there you go, guys. Um, for, for everyone tuning in, I think if you want to learn about composting, um, go to the Monty app. Yeah, reach out to Ashley. Um, uh, Are we able to find you on any of your socials? Definitely follow our socials. Follow, we got LinkedIn, we got Instagram, we got Facebook. Uh, We got set up with TikTok. There's some cool TikToks on there. I don't know if cool is the right word, but um, they're all just Monty Compost Co. Um, Same as our website. It's just montycompost.co. We're really engaged with our community, you know, as a still relatively new startup. We're always trying to work with our our early stage supporters to get things as, you know, refined as possible before we start um, kind of growing and expanding up. Uh, but yeah, definitely reach out to us if you have any compost questions, if you have any feedback, if you want to, we actually have, um, stock now, which is so exciting. So you can actually buy a monitor. So get in now. Amazing. And did you just, um, close a, uh, a funding round? Oh God, no, that was like a year ago. (laughs) Um, Okay. I must have, um, re like read that like a while Um, ago. Our fund recently, uh, uh, opened another one um and it's definitely something that we're kind of always you know in the space for um especially you know it's a challenging time and I guess the macroeconomic environment for investment um I guess we feel pretty okay with things you know we validated a very strong uh kind of business set of business fundamentals but again I think as well the whole um fact that what we're doing is so so amazing for the environment it like there's all the governments around the world still have very strong mandates for investment in um climate goals and achieving those so you know we're fairly well positioned as opposed to I guess some of the more um non-essential startup areas which is still you know highly innovative and highly valid but just not having as much of that institutional drive behind it but yeah so that was a while ago we still got we still got runway we're still not doing too badly despite being a hardware company mm, exactly um i think it's it's going to be a really great journey and um definitely really keen to follow you on your journey ahead um i i wanted to talk about a couple of things when it comes to funding um but just to recap for everyone um listening in um go check out ashley's ted talk it's oh, incredible <laughs> don't read the comments though and now everyone's gonna go read it it's so embarrassing <laughs> someone commented i didn't notice it because i didn't listen to it i just listened to it on the speaker but someone commented on it what a oh, was so bad someone commented on it and I noticed that when you put on the when you put on headphones and listen to it you can hear it they had the microphone for my talk right next to my chest and the way that my shirt was sitting you can literally hear my heart beating oh, and no. I was like raising I was so nervous it's so embarrassing I look, look I, I heard it and um I <laughs> Not as in, like, I didn't hear the heartbeat, to be honest. I, I was listening to it. Why would that guy comment that? I know. <laughs> We're talking about composting. I know. But, look, I am very happy with the content that is that is inside that TED Talk. It's all TED 
TEDx talk. It's not a real TED talk. Still is kind of. Um, but yeah, no, the content in there is very valuable, I guess, in terms of understanding our MO behind why compost is such a great climate solution, why it's not just this, you know, lame thing that hippies do in their backyard, how it's something that's, you know, as viable as solar, as electric cars, as battery tech. It's something that needs to get the, the, the spotlight on. it's a great talk you everyone tuning in um go have a uh, go have a look at it um I think it'll be really interesting um to to have um a bit of a background on Monty and then you know you can go check out their website if you want to learn more um uh, I, I wanted to reflect on your funding journey because while in your final year, this is in Ashley's final year, guys, um, you entered a competition for a university grant and you ended up getting 25K. A- am I right on that? Yeah, um, that was wild. <laughs> capital. Wow. And that's just, that was just something um, that sort of helped you initially. Yeah, that's what really kicked us off. So I guess um, what the context was, was that it was like this sustainable startup innovation competition. Um, And initially when I first kind of applied, I I didn't really, I guess it didn't really enter my head that if I won this, I would be required to start a business with it. I don't think I really fully grasped that that was what I was doing. And so I proceeded to write, like, like I'm just going to say this. I I definitely put in the hours for that grant. Like I wrote a 15,000 word thesis on composting and the waste management industry. Like I, I, I should get an honorary doctorate from you <laughs> for that yeah. shit because that wow. was a lot. Maybe not a doctorate, but um, yeah, so I ended up, yeah, I ended up winning that at the end of my final year and it really hit home that was like, okay, wow, this could be something that you could do. And I guess, you know, it was obviously a bit of a kind of wild decision, you know, like all my peers, they were graduating and going into awesome grad jobs and going to make a salary and all of that stuff. And my future was looking like, doing some weird compost startup but I think like there just was no reason I kept looking for reasons why I shouldn't do it and I just I couldn't find any like I had tried you know those corporate jobs I'd tried a whole many a whole bunch of different areas and none of them none of them made me feel like I could go into work every day and not feel like I was abandoning the opportunity I had. So yeah, taking that kind of funding and that footing, I applied for UQ's uh, startup accelerator, which was six months and another 25 grand. So kind of used that for that first year in 2019 to do research, do uh, team development, do kind of validation, all of that stuff. Um, should I just keep going or <laughs> go through the journey? No, I th- I think you you've highlighted some really important points. I, I think 
this is a really big thing, especially like you said earlier on um, on the pod. You were talking about how you didn't you didn't come from a business background, right? Being a woman, being someone who didn't come from a business background, didn't have all these connections that everyone um, who jumps into these ventures would would normally have. Um, I remember talking to you about this, and you said, um, you know, it's it's a it's a big thing. But at the same time, it was it was good that you just jumped into the deep end because you weren't like exposed to all this. Mm. I so would not have done it if I knew what I know now. <laughs> oh god, I would just be too daunted. Mm. And it just shows you like how much work is required as a oh, no rational self-preserving person would go ahead. And start a startup at 23 with no like no connections, no formal background. And yeah, like you said, um, like me and my sister, we were the first women in our family to get you to go to university and get university degrees. It like it just never was a thing for me. So I think it was very challenging. But if I wasn't stupid and naive enough to just go ahead and do it anyway, like I don't think. And I I think that's something that, you know, like isn't actually, you know, it always gets talked about, oh, you know, young people in startups, they're very naive, but it's like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do crazy, stupid, improbable, likely to fail things if you weren't incredibly naive, but it just so happens that those things are often what make the greatest innovations and what make the greatest changes in the world. Mm, Yeah. And I think just reflecting on that journey, I I think that must have been something that um, would have been important to have because at the same time you're you're in an agri-tech startup like I think the process for capital raising is so different from any sort of industry and um, like it's it's crazy how hard like that space is um can you just share a bit of your journey capital raising in in a in an industry that's it's quite hard of course so um I guess the first capital raise we did was just pre-covid so everyone was freaking out so it was so hard and we were up against the challenge of being a hardware startup so first, like, firstly, that is so incredibly expensive. Like companies that are just software startups that run out of money. I don't know how the hell you do it. Like you don't, what are your expenses? I had to spend like, like 25 grand on bloody Bluetooth chips alone a few months ago. Hardware is so expensive. (laughs) But like with software, all you have to do is anyway, not not demeaning in any way, but for any investor coming on to um, making an investment decision, you know, putting into a hardware startup, you're already faced with like, oh my God, am I going to have to pour a shitload of money into this company because they're going to need tooling, because they're going to need components, all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, during COVID, uh, at the beginning of COVID, everyone was pulling their money because they had no idea what was going to happen. So we managed to close that first kind of pre-seed family office round at 200,000. And that got us across the line 
on getting things kind of started, doing some MVP testing, all of that stuff. Um, And I think that the work we did in that just over a year, especially during COVID time when everything was falling to shit and the fact that we could validate ourselves after that, um, it made like, I I think that I've been very, very lucky with our investors. Um, So for the first round, we were, I was introduced to our lead investor, which is a family office in Brisbane, um, because my friend worked at one of their portfolio companies and the family office lead, he was like the loveliest person ever, just had a meeting, was so supportive, was exactly what a kind of pre-seed, seed investor should be to new founders um and then our seed uh, our seed stage investor was actually a customer of our mvp product and it's actually a funny story like yeah he found out about us because he was in kind of one of the startup communities that we knew about and they mentioned us to him and he was a compost star and it was so funny because at that MVP stage, because we had a very limited run, I was Googling everyone who bought one because it was mainly just in Queensland. And I saw him come up and I saw he was an investor. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to hand deliver this one. <laughs> and so that's how we met our next investor. So it was all very serendipitous. But if those things hadn't happened, I know the conversations I'd had with other investors, oh, they were so challenging and, you know, there's so much skepticism. And I think what I've actually come to appreciate, which initially was a bit of a curse for us, was what I call the filter of compost. So there are a lot of investors out there who they invest for ego, they hop on trends, they, you know, just spray and pray, they'll just throw money at anything that's hot and hope that it makes, you know, a quick return for them or they'll invest in something because all their friends are investing in it. It takes a unique, like far-sighted, like visionary person to be able to see the potential in something that on the surface is as dirty and messy and unvalidated as a compost hardware step, like startup. It takes you know, thinking about things in a different way. So even though at the beginning it was very disheartening to have so many poor conversations where, you know, I got told that someone told me that I didn't know anything about compost and I was dirty at that. That was like, come on, who are you? You, like, I've been reading this. Anyway, conversations <laughs> like that. But yeah. at the end of the day, that was actually a blessing because I would not have the, like, our investors have been so supportive. They've been amazing. We would not have the relationship that we have today and the support that we have if those horrible investors had come in. So it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Um, it's no, sorry, it's just a blessing. But I thought it was a curse. Um, so yes, that's kind of a funny journey. Been very lucky, but it definitely was hard. And I think I do feel for startups that are in hardware and are in the ag space who don't get those very fortunate occurrences. Right, yeah. And and like you said, building a relationship with your investor is a long journey. Um, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And like you said, it's it's something that is 
a big process um, and you learn on the way. Uh, and I've, I've just realised by talking to a couple of people we've had on the pod, um, every founder's journey is different. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, it's very like, like you said, things will happen in your journey that will just make sense, sometimes not, and it's just about how you navigate that. Um, and it's it's super interesting on this topic of um of conversation um j- just for everyone tuning in um uh Ashley and I we were just talking about networking <laughs> um and uh she was talking about an event she went to it was, it was very exclusive um so I'll just uh let you explain <laughs> oh so this literally did just happen last week so Oh my God. I guess the moral of this story that I'll say before is that you have to say yes to opportunities that are given to you like all the time. So basically (laughs) I feel like I, okay, I was, I was invited initially to one of the sessions at this, um, at this uh, event for uh, investors, um, up at the Sunshine Coast and I was invited to kind of just speak at this 45-minute session just to with a couple other panelists just to represent like kind of the founder perspective on things. That was it. I was meant to get out of there afterwards. I didn't. (laughs) I ended up like crashing. It was a three-day event and I ended up crashing the second two days (laughs) and like I know and I ended up like bumming a free room off someone I knew there because it was like at a resort and I ended up just going to all of the dinners and lunches and breakfasts and all of that stuff and I kept like all the new conversations I have they'd be like oh so what do you do like what fun do you work at I'm like I don't work at a fund I'm a founder (laughs) sorry um and so oh god it was I really took my teenage skill of crashing parties to the next level with this. Um, But I will say that it was definitely worth looking like a total scab being there (laughs) because the amount of conversations I was able to have, the insights I learned, I actually learned so much from talking to those people. Yeah, and and the connections I made were just incredible. Mm. And it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier, um, how even though it, it does take a lot out of you, like just oh, talking to people over and over again and then like repeating yourself, I think you just forget what you you, you said earlier yeah. um, because you, you're saying the same thing over and over again. Um, and, and I suppose that just comes like from habit of yeah, continually going to these yeah. events. But it's it does take so much. You went to a three-day three event. Oh, no, I only went for two days, but it was yeah. such a long two days. So and long. You said you went, like, you went to dinner after and you, yeah. like, you went there and I'm like, it doesn't end. I know. And then on the Saturday morning when I had breakfast and – I was like, oh, I need to get out of here. And then a couple other people who were staying, they were like, oh, our flight doesn't leave until 11. Do you want to have catch-up? I can't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You really, I'll message you. I can't talk to you anymore. I can't talk to anyone. And then on like the two-hour drive back, I didn't turn on the radio once. I just sat there in silence. <laughs> like, you know, when you just need that. Like it's, it was 
very, very rewarding. I'm so grateful for the opportunity and experience and I learn a lot and I'm not being, I'm not, not being grateful, but it was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. And, and like you said, um, like, and, and Ashley, for everyone tuning in, like she has so much energy. You might be able to just hear it now, but like she has a lot of energy. Um, and just coming from her, it's, it's like, it's going to take a lot out of anyone. Um, and it's so important to just take some time to yourself. And, um, like you said, um, um, you, you do that through just, you know, giving yourself alone time. Right. Oh yeah. And we actually spoke about that briefly at the event. We're talking about like mental health and the startup community. Um, and I thought it was so like important, like amazing that they mentioned that and important to talk about because honestly, hustle culture needs to get out. Hustle culture needs to take it, like read the room and just leave. Like it has been so toxic. You know, I probably had two cases of burnout at the end of both my first and second year of doing Monty. And like, it was just because I was trying to subscribe to that hustle culture. I believed that if I worked hundred hour weeks, then I would get things done twice as fast. But all you have to do is look at like the most cutting edge literature in human psychology, in human performance, and you'll see that productivity is not linearly correlated with hours. It's like there are actual decreases in productivity that happen when you're not healthy, when you're not happy, when you're not getting enough sleep, when whatever social requirements you have are not being met. And, you know, there's so much shame that's out there for people who, like I was talking to someone and he said that his boss Um, and cause this was kind of related to both mental health and also kind of like, um, you know, a bit of like sexism in the startup community. And he said that his boss like absolutely shamed him and nearly fired him for taking paternity leave. And, you know, like this was like less than a decade ago and so many people just don't feel like they can take a break, especially in the startup world. And, you know, that's how you burn out. And I was very lucky that, you know, because I was a bit younger, I was able to bounce back. But I know that like five years time, if I burned out like that again, I probably wouldn't feel the motivation to get back on the horse. So, you know, I got, I got, I honestly got close a few times and it was only the fact that I literally, and I don't mean this in a morbid way, but I literally have nothing else that I want to live for, you know, like I feel like I've tried everything and I know that this is my life purpose. So for me, giving up just wasn't an option, even if it was hard, but I know that for a lot of other people, you know, that's what they would have to do to prevent, like to prevent themselves from progressing any further into mental health problems. So I really think that that's something that people need to start emphasizing in the startup space and not feel like you have to kill yourself by working 15 hours a day. 100%. Um, I think we need to emphasize that so much. Um, and just reflecting on what you, you've said from your own experience, I think it's important to have that talk with yourself um, and, and be honest with yourself on how you're feeling and um, how your day is going and and just checking in with yourself because at the end of the day, um, 
no one can read your mind, right? Like you can, you can, you know, give all the signals you want, um, but at the end of the day, you've got to confront it um, and maybe just take that step forward to seeking that help. Have a weekend. Like your emails can wait two days. Yes. That's it. Just take it. I like, I have embraced binging Netflix. I don't care. I don't care that it's not productive. And I don't <laughs> care that these other like startup influencers say they read a book every week. I don't care. I don't care that you say that. I don't care that people wake up at 4 a.m. to meditate for an hour. That's not me. I'm going to go home after work and I'm going to watch a shitty reality show with my mom and I'm going to have a great time. And exactly. I like I I feel like we need to stop expecting everyone to fit into this mold. Yeah. How you deal with your rewinding, relaxing, how you sort of um deal with your mental health is up to yourself. There shouldn't be, hey, you have to meditate, you have to do this, you have to do that. You do you. (laughs) And that is important. Um, And I think it's probably going to be one of the main things, um, you know, I want to uh, highlight um, just generally as well, like with people that I talk to, like it's so important because that's going to drive your actions no matter what, right? Like if you can't look after yourself, you're not going to be the most productive. No, not at all. Mm. Um, so, yeah, amazing chat. Um, Ashley, I, before we sort of wrap up, I, I kind of just want to um, get a get a gist of what you predict for the future of composting and what are the next steps for Monty? Um, so I'll answer the first one first. Uh, so next steps for us, we've just manufactured or in the process of finishing manufacturing our first batch of a thousand monitors. So we're distributing those domestically um, and stocks are running out. So get in and buy yours now. Um, if you live in Brisbane, Australia, you can get a $70 rebate um, and we will be running 20% off sales on the regular throughout the rest of this year. So make sure you're following all our socials. Uh, next year, then um, we're going to be expanding internationally. So um, kind of doing the same market approach as we're doing now, but putting it into North America and Europe. Uh, and then we're also going to kind of start exploring other verticals. So we really see a lot of applications in um, actual commercial agriculture. So, for example, soil monitoring, different applications like that beyond just smaller scale composting. So that's kind of the the second prong of what we're going to be doing. Um, but then we've got this third prong, which is back into our initial space of small-scale composting, and that's really bringing that to the the greater municipal waste management, I guess, industry and how we can go on to connect all the kind of consumer sales we've made to actually processing an entire city's waste on a commercial scale. So, for example, you know, in, if you've got a neighbour who has a Monty Morissart, we can connect you up with them so that they can take your waste. Or if there's a school, you know, we really see every single school in the world having a compost operation that's monitored by Monty. Why not? 
like literally is like they have the space, they have the students, they have like the value that they would get from it in terms of technology, biology, education. And then suddenly every single per- like family that has a kid has access to composting. So really act like really using that foundational base of users that we've generated in this, this year to start implementing those more systemic changes is something we want to start looking at as well. Um, and that kind of ties, I guess, into your first question, which is what the future of composting is. You know, we've got 3 billion tonnes of organic waste that needs to be recycled. There are a lot of really interesting um, uh, technologies coming out, so things like biogas and biochar and fancy machines that, you know, can grind it up and turn it into compost in an hour or something. Um, but at the end of the day, like, they're very expensive methods. Literally nothing's cheaper and nothing's easier than just putting it all into a big pile. And, you know, it's a big world out there. We have a lot of waste to manage. If we can get some of it, you know, put into biogas for energy, that's awesome. But the end product still needs to be composted. And like I said, there are a lot of regional, rural developing areas that have no waste management infrastructure that need need this kind of technology. Hmm. Amazing. Um, I'm really looking forward to following Monty's journey and uh, I hope everyone tuning in uh, is keen to get involved as well. We really need everyone in this mission together. Compost is coming to a place community near you with Monty. Make sure you follow us. Yes, love that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ashley. For Thanks for having me. Really appreciate um, your time. And I think we've we've covered so much ground on this one. Just rattling through it. Yeah, amazing. All right, all the best, Ashley. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. All, all right. right, bye. So what'd you think? I learned so much about composting from this pod, and I'm so amazed at the amount of space Monty has been able to cover in the compost field from Brisbane across Australia. A little commitment and passion can take you so far. If you're new to Greenfluence, thanks for joining us, and hopefully you feel inspired to listen to our previous and future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you for listening in again. We really appreciate it and are so excited to grow our Greenfluence community. If you'd like to get in touch and become a Greenfluencer, check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. All the links to our socials are in the show notes. We'd appreciate if you'd leave us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. We'll see you next time.